How can you tell if someone is lying? How can you tell if someone is lying? There are actually uh, legions of books on this. I, I went and looked in the uh, online, and there was a colossal number of books on body language, many of them focusing on this exact point. And so uh, I saw one Forbes magazine article that made this summary. This is, this is how you know if someone is lying to you. Ready? Are you interested to know this? All right, here we go. Number one, liars lack detail. It's hard to come up with consistent lies with details. So ask for details. And in all the cop shows, you know, they keep getting them to tell the story over and over again. See if they're consistent. That's what they're doing to see if they're telling the true story or not. Secondly, liars are less cooperative than truth tellers. They don't really want to talk to you about it. They kind of evade talking about it. Thirdly, liars avoid eye contact. And so as you talk to someone and they, um, they tell you their story, look them in the eyes. And notice which bit of, the, of their story do they sort of look away. Because that's the bit where they're fibbing. All right? Um, liars pause a lot as they tell their stories. Because they're trying to think hard about how they add to this lie and, and it makes sense. Fifthly, lying is stressful. So people subconsciously start rubbing themselves. They'll start rubbing the, the back of their head. If, if someone's talking and then they start doing this, then your antenna should go, what? Like that? You don't have to do that. Uh, they start rubbing the back of their heads. Uh, they, they start covering their mouths. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's what it's worth, yeah. Um, and, and, and they do something called the Pinocchio effect. They start rubbing their noses. Yep. Do you know that? I, I actually have a very allergic nose. Just so you know. When, when it, <laughs> I, I, my wife tells me off all the time for rubbing my nose. It's because I have this allergic rhinitis. Honestly, honestly now. Now, why are there so many books about body language? Why, why is there so much interest in this topic of knowing when someone is lying? I think it's a couple of reasons. Number one, nobody likes to be lied to. And secondly, everybody is lying. That's, that's the simple answer. Here is one of the most common signs of our sinful um, human condition. And that is that we find it so easy to lie. This is one of the most obvious signs why we need salvation. Is that actually, when it comes to it, if telling the truth might be costly to us, if, if saying uh, the truth might cause some loss to us, we so easily lie. Another evidence for this is this whole business of swearing oaths. If you are ordered to appear in a court of law as a witness, as you take the stand, 
certainly for many hundreds of years, uh, you would be asked to swear a very solemn oath. Something like, I swear by Almighty God to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And by declaring this solemn oath, you are sort of giving assurance of the truthfulness of the testimony that you're about to give. And you are implicitly saying, if I lie under this oath, may this almighty God judge me and punish me. That's implicitly what you're saying when you declare that oath. Why do we need to give oaths? Simple. We so easily lie. Now, what does Jesus have to say to his disciples about swearing oaths? Well, please open your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5, and you'll find this on page 969. And if you're visiting us this morning, we have been working through this most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where we've got to today. Matthew chapter 5, going to read from verse 33. And that's on page 969. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one of your hairs white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is God's word. Let's just pray and ask for his help. Father, we come to you and ask that you would open our eyes to understand what your son was teaching and that you would bring conviction of sin where it is needed, that you'd bring the consolation of the gospel and that you'd fill us with your spirit that we'd resolve to be those who speak the truth. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Let's remember what's going on here. Jesus is teaching his disciples uh, what it means to live as a disciple. Here is God's king. He's bringing in God's kingdom. And he's teaching the ethics of, of what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom. If you say, I belong to Jesus, I follow Jesus. Well, Jesus is teaching here what the life of such a person should look like. And, and we've got into some very practical areas. And we've hit on this topic of truth-telling and oaths today. All the way through this sermon, Jesus is criticizing the religious teachers of his day, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the scribes. And he's setting out a contrast between the way they viewed the law and the way that his disciples should live out God's law. 
His critique, as we're going to see, was pretty brutal of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He, he, his charge was that their attempt all the time was to minimize the law, to shrink it down, to make it something that was external, something that, uh, that you could outwardly do, that, to make it manageable. But Jesus is teaching his disciples uh, what it means to have a better righteousness than these teachers of the law. He wants them not to be uh, people who are different on the inside to the outside. He's teaching them not to be hypocrites, but to have a true righteousness, a true desire to live for God that comes from their heart. That's what's going on in this uh, Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at murder, we've looked at adultery, and today our speech. And there's three things I want us to look at today as we consider this passage. Firstly, what did the Old Testament teach? Secondly, what were the rabbis teaching in Jesus' day? And thirdly, what did Jesus teach? That's where we're going. Number one, what did the Old Testament teach? Well, the Old Testament law permitted swearing of oaths. And verse 33 summarizes it. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. Now, this is not a direct quote from any part of the Old Testament law, but it is a fair summary of a whole range of uh, verses from God's law. So in Leviticus 19, verse 12, it says this, uh, I think there's a slide. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Or Numbers 30, verse 2. Next slide. When a man makes a vow to the Lord, or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said, and also Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. So the Old Testament permitted swearing of oaths, but of course, what's the whole point of these oaths? The whole point was to urge people to, to be truthful, to be people of their words. These commands were about prohibiting, sort of swearing um, falsely and committing perjury. So sort of making a vow and breaking it. For doing those things, for swearing those oaths and saying, yes, I promise in God's name that such and such thing happened. And then actually that being a lie is actually profaning God's name, misusing his name. And, and the reason why this is so wrong is because God himself never lies. He always tells the truth. And he always keeps his promises. And so he desires that his people reflect his holy character, his nature, that they would be truth-speaking people. That's what the law was about. But by the time of Jesus, the rabbis were teaching um, some fairly complicated things about oaths. Uh, instead of it just being something that was permitted, it seems almost as something was essential. That over pointless and needless things, people were swearing oaths to assure people of their truthfulness. 
And uh, the tradition had developed in such a way that it had become kind of devious and sneaky. You know, there, there were certain oaths that were considered to be binding and other oaths you could use that were, well, not quite so tight and stringent. My mother told me that when she was a, a, a girl in uh, Hereford, in that school, I don't know whether it's particularly sneaky people in Hereford, but uh, they played a game called Sly Fox. And the nature of this game, Sly Fox, was that you could say any statement you wanted to another person, and if you had your fingers crossed, and afterwards said quietly, Sly Fox, you didn't have to mean it. Right? Is that true what you told me? Oh, I swear on my mother's life, it's true, Sly Fox. See? Now, that's a pretty childish uh, way of evading being truthful, isn't it? But in, in effect, some of the rabbis were teaching that certain oaths were binding and other oaths were kind of sly fox type of oaths. And that's what Jesus is having a go at. Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 5 and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 23. You'll find this on page 992. Jesus was a truth-speaking man and he wasn't afraid to pull his punches. He didn't pull his punches. Uh, Look at uh, chapter 23 and verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, well, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift Or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it, and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple, swears by it, and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by God's throne, and by the one who sits on it. We'll come back to to Matthew chapter 5 and to see what Jesus taught about it. See, if some of these rabbis, they were teaching that only the O's that were binding were those that contained the name of God. And against this background, Jesus says this in verse 34 of chapter 5. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, For it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. 
To think that some oaths were binding because they, they mentioned God's name and others weren't because they didn't, Jesus says, is ludicrous because actually everything is ultimately connected back to God. This is God's world. He made it all. He is the authority that stands behind everything. If you swear by anything, it is ultimately linked back to God. And therefore, it is binding. The God who is king over heaven and the earth. He's the one in charge. He's the one with ultimate authority. Uh, While Jesus contrasts, we cannot even change the color of our hair. We find that it happens quite without our desire over time, don't we? I can't believe how gray I am. My wife cut my hair yesterday. I look... I look as if uh, the back of a silverback gorilla has been shorn. That's how I like to think about it. Anyway, we, we can't even change the color of our hair. I mean, we can mask the color of our hair, and I see some may have done that. Uh, I mean, we, 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 can, we can apply some dye, but we actually haven't changed the color of our hair. We're masking it. Give it a few days, and it grows out, doesn't it? So what is the teaching? Jesus says, well, if you're caught up in this silly games of saying oaths for frivolous stuff and actually you're being deceptive in it, do not swear at all. Instead, verse 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So what's he teaching his disciples? What's he teaching us today? If you're a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus, what does Jesus want to say to us? He's telling us we're not to play games with our words. We are to mean what we say and say what we mean. If you mean yes, say yes. If you mean no, say no. I want to suggest that we find this harder than we think we do. But Jesus says, anything more than that, any forms of speech where actually we're kind of suggesting yes when inside we're actually really thinking no, is coming from an evil heart. Or even it could be translated the evil one. The Bible says that we lie because we have lying hearts, sinful hearts. We have lying words, and there is a lying one, Satan. Jesus denounced him as as the liar and the father of lies. And any attempt to uh, say one thing when actually we mean something quite different is spurred on by the evil one, Jesus says. The real implication of God's law is that we should be people, especially those who follow Christ, we should be those who keep our promises and be people of our words. That's what should mark Christian people. That they're those who are trustworthy. If they've said it, that's enough. It's meant. It'll be followed through. They'll keep their commitments even when it hurts, as we read in Psalm 15. You know, when you have people like that, vows and oaths are completely unnecessary, aren't they? There's not two stages of speech. 
like my regular fibbing speech, and then, okay, when I'm on my best behavior speech. No, Christians are called to being basically consistent people who always speak the truth. Now think, what difference would that make in this world if people operated in that way? I'm afraid half of our lawyers would be out of business, wouldn't they? Basically, the law system is there to kind of enforce that people really have agreed. They've really nailed them down in all the sub-clauses. And when they've signed, that's it. Maybe, maybe that's it. What a difference it would make if we lived in a world where the person's word was their bond. If someone promised to do a deal, the deal would be done. And the truth is that the lack of trust in our society is utterly corrosive, and we see it all around us. And so you hear jokes like this. How do you know when a politician is lying? His lips are moving. Now, I think it's a bit harsh. I know some trustworthy politicians, but but that joke kind of makes sense to us, doesn't it? Who believes what politicians say these days? Who believes that bankers can be trusted? There's a couple of instances where where the the lack of, of truth speaking in our words is just corrosive in our society. Well, the mark of a, of a true Christian disciple is, the, is they should be known for those who speak the truth and do not lie. Now, there's a couple of uh, questions that arise from this. Firstly, should Christians swear oaths, for example, in courts of law? Some Christian groups, like the Quakers in the past, have said that they wouldn't do it. Now, notice with me from this passage that Jesus' real concern is not about oaths at all. It is about a commitment to speaking the truth. And so I think that the issue boils down to this. What is the motivation for the oath? If you are saying an oath motivated by some desire to do kind of a sly fox type thing, then of course it is obviously wrong. But if some external authority requires you to take an oath to remind you of the seriousness of telling the truth, uh, then the Christian, I believe, should have no problem doing so. The simple truth is that they would have told the truth anyway without the oath. And so if the court requires it and it makes them happy, well, that's fine. If they don't trust people generally, well, that's not your problem. You'd have done it. You'd have spoken the truth anyway. But if they say, we'd like you to do this, No problem, do it, because you're going to speak the truth anyway. You're a Christian disciple. Secondly, if Jesus teaches we shouldn't swear oaths, what about the fact that God swears oaths? Does this undermine what Jesus says here? Well, there's a key passage in Hebrews chapter 6, so let's turn to that, page 1204. Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, let me read from verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after... Waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oaths confirm what is said 
and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Again, this uh, apparent tension is no real tension as we think about what was God's motivation for taking an oath. God doesn't need to take an oath. God never lies. He always speaks the truth. So why does he take an oath to Abraham? Well, because God did it for the sake of Abraham. Abraham was given this incredible promise he'd have a child. It took a long, long time to happen. All the circumstances looked like it never could happen because he was so feeble and frail. And God wants to assure Abraham of the absolute certainty of the promise. And it wasn't for God's sake that he swore an oath. He did it to elicit and strengthen the faith of Abraham. It's enough that God said it, but God wants Abraham to be absolutely sure. And so he swears an oath by himself. I will surely... The word surely is the oath. So that Abraham could be absolutely certain and confident. Jesus is not speaking against that. He's speaking against this sneaky, sly, foxy, oath-type thing. So practically, how should we respond to Jesus' teaching? Well, firstly, I, I would say that we need to see what a serious problem we have that we keep lying in our speech. If you're not a Christian and you're here with us today and uh, you think all this talk of sin being a serious problem is excessive and weird, then I would challenge you to commit this week to never tell a lie. Give it your best shot. And observe your speech. Think about what you say this week. And come back and tell me next week if you've managed to go a whole week without lying. I've read some stats that say the average person lies every eight minutes. Now, I think that's a bit harsh. But give it a go this week. If you're not a Christian and you want to be convinced, actually, I've got a problem. I've got a sin problem. My, my heart is a heart that wants to lie. Give it a go this week and tell me how you get on. And if you come back depressed by how much you have lied, I've got great news for you. Jesus Christ came to die for, for sinners who are liars. He came to die for perjurers. In his death upon the cross, he paid the price, the penalty, for those who deserve God's judgment because they're liars, so that they could be absolutely forgiven and made clean. And when he rose from the dead and went to God's right hand, he poured out his spirit so that his spirit would come into our lives, that he would change us from the inside out, change our hearts, that we would have a new desire, a new motivation from the heart to be those who speak the truth, who choose not to lie. Have you noticed that you never have to teach your children to lie? Really, has anyone here had to teach their children to lie? At a very young age, I found, and I don't think my kids are uncommon, they have the capacity to be economical with the truth. I've never had to teach them. Now, kids, when you go to school today, I want to teach you how to lie. No, you know, you have to teach them how to tell the truth. 
You know they've done wrong. They say, look, I know something. Would you just tell me? Be truthful. Tell me. I'll not be unhappy with you unless you lie. Tell me. You have to do all this whole speech, don't you? That is because we have a real serious sin problem. And yet Jesus has come to be our Savior. Have you come to him? Have you asked for his forgiveness? Have you received this salvation? Have you asked him to change your hearts? Secondly, for those who are followers of Christ, let us prayerfully and carefully think through how we do speak as Christians. Do we mean what we say? Do we say what we mean? As a point of wisdom, can I just say that you don't always have to speak? Or you can say, I don't want to comment on that. If you feel it's, it's inappropriate to speak the truth at that point. Maybe it's not. When your wife says, do I look good in this? I would generally counsel you to say, of course, darling. You always look good. Um, but I think we do need to be careful with our words. Uh, Mes McConnell uh, wrote this blog on April the 1st. Note the date, April the 1st. So this is tongue in his cheek. Mez is, uh, is a pastor of the church in Nidri, and he loves to rile everybody. That's Mez. So he wrote this uh, on April the 1st. Congratulations. You have been saved from a housing scheme background, and you've taken the step to enter into cross-cultural ministry. Ministering to the middle class is fraught with many pitfalls and dangers and is something not to be entered into lightly. Please take time to read the following. Number one, as a people group, they're difficult to penetrate without a prior appointment. They like using diaries and have a good phrase to familiarize and a good phrase to familiarize yourself with is having a free window. There's lots of points. Let me reduce point two. Related to shopping, please try to familiarize yourselves with shops like Waitrose, Marks and Spencers, and the shrine that is John Lewis. This is the holy trinity of the middle class shopping world. For those of us used to little and farm foods, just pressing our faces against the windows of these establishments can be quite an intimidating experience. Our suggestion is that you buy some of the garments listed in two. I didn't tell you that. Uh, And then try to familiarize yourself with the layout of these places. Practice buying something exotic like salmon and maybe even some fruit. Be warned at some point you'll have to purchase fresh vegetables. But we do offer specialist training before leaving you in an area on your own. Don't worry about it for now. But for those who can face it, practice at home with a tin of canned carrots. Ketchup helps initially with the unfamiliar taste. (laughs) This is Mez, right? It's April the 1st. Point three. In formal settings, particularly Sunday services, try to keep the conversation on superficial things for as long as possible. Do not ever talk about feelings. Remember your week has been fine. Do not break this carefully crafted cultural norm. Many missionaries have gone down this path and experimented by trying to hold a conversation. In most cases, it has resulted in the end of their ministry. It is a cultural no-no. Related to this, don't worry when they ask you how you're doing. Respond with, okay, thanks, how are you? Then quickly move on. They're not really looking for a response. 
This can be disconcerting at first because it often appears like a genuine inquiry. Coupled with this, I will call you or give me a ring and not to be taken literally. It is a polite way of extrapolating themselves from a conversation with you without wishing to cause offense. Whatever you do, do not flip out your phone and ask for their number on the spot. Ask them to text it to you and thus give them an out for what is potentially an embarrassing faux pas. Four, don't be disappointed when they say, let's get together, and it never materializes. It is their way of saying, I do not think we'll be seeing each other again. The prophetic ministry of Mayors McConnell. I think we have to be careful with our speech, don't we? If we're committed to following this Christ, we will simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. I think we need God's help to do that, don't we? Let's pray.